0: Our scripture today is short, um, just, just a few verses, but it's jam-packed with things for us to learn. I'm reading from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Hear these words, oh, O no, oh, no one anything except to love one another. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Once again, we find ourselves in the book of Romans. It was probably two weeks ago when we looked at Romans 15 and the parts that talked about neighboring in there. So today we continue exploring what it means to be neighbor. You know, when I, kind of an aside here, I want to mention that when I study any of the Pauline writings in the New Testament, I remind myself that Paul Paul was writing in a culture and context that was very specific. Let me flesh that out a little bit for you. Once, um, when I was interviewing for a position as an interim pastor in a church, not to be named, I was asked by one of the members of the selection committee how I could justify women in ministry when Scripture so explicitly forbids it. Now, I have to tell you that that's not an okay question to ask in the middle of an interview. Um, But I decided that day not to... To make a big deal about it but to answer that question and so when i look at the pauline writings this is how i look at them because there are some things in paul's letters that don't make sense in our culture at all and so this is how i answered this person um i said every time that paul addresses um Women in this manner. He is ad- addressing a specific situation in a specific context in a specific culture, and it's unfair. And I will say to you, I'm ethical to to apply that as this is the way it always is. So often when we look at Paul's Paul's letters, there's things like when he's talking about slaves and he's talking about um, other things that just don't quite fit in our culture. He's talking specifically. The other thing I said to this person, I said, well, you know, actually Paul talks a lot more about circumcision than he does about women. And I wonder if you would apply the same logic to circumcision as you do to what he's saying about women. And, you know, I didn't get any more pushback. After that, but you know, even given that Paul is writing to this this context, this culture, this situation, I feel like there's a lot in the Pauline writings that we can glean, that we can that we can look as long as we're not expecting them to directly go into our culture, as long as we're not expecting it to be this gold hand coming down from heaven, writing the scripture, and that's the way it is for all times. We need to look at what was happening at that time. Well, as we look at at Romans, there is some specific things that we need to look at that are situational and contextual, but also that can help us today. So, in this richness that Paul writes... Um, we need to kind of look a little bit about who Paul was, and then we can get that, that broader picture. Um, Paul was um, a Pharisee, and, and he came by way of law. And so a lot of things that Paul says has to do with law, but the thing is, is that um, Paul, although he was Jewish and followed the law, he was also a follower of Jesus. So, when Paul looks at those Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures, he's looking at them in a particular way through the lens of who Jesus is. And so, when we talked about those Ten Commandments, you know, um, I recall, uh, you know, it used to be that Ten Commandments were written, you know, on the wall of every church, they were written on many schools. Do you remember that? that time and stuff. And and there's nothing wrong. They're really good. The Ten Commandments are really good. But if you listen to what Jesus said about the commandments, remember the, the laws. There were 613 laws. He said they can be summed up in two things. Remember what those two things were. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul is saying in here, he's talking about these commandments and he's, he's just re- reminding his audience that are both the ethnically Jew, Jewish audience and those that were Gentiles that were com- converted to, to what we call Christianity or followers in Christ. He's talking to both groups. Those that follow the law or have followed the law most of their life and those who it is brand new. And so he does mention the, the Ten Commandments What we can glean when we look at the the full book of Romans is this. There were these two groups of people, and they were in tension with each other because um, one group, the ethnic Jews, thought that everything had to do with the law, and the Gentiles didn't quite see it that way. So back to the circumcision question, The the ethnically Jewish people thought all the Gentiles should be circumcised. And the Gentiles didn't think that was a good idea. So you can see kind of that tension that kept popping up on a lot of different things. And so Paul begins to write Romans to a group of people he hasn't met before. We mentioned that last time I preached on Romans. He is talking to a group of people he hasn't met before, but then he... He believes in them. He believes that they can do good in this world. And so he's writing to this this group of people that's having some problems. And so verses 8 through 10 is one way that he's addressing those problems. Or that tension might be. So then it's important to note that Paul, like Jesus, sees love as the foundational element by which the Ten Commandments was written. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the first few have to do with relationship with God. And the rest have to do with relationship with each other. So when you're saying, thou shalt not kill... It's not about God, but it's about us relating to each other. And I will mention my friend Karen and I got to have lunch this week. She's a pastor in Pendleton. And she's preaching on the on the Ten Commandments right now. Her co pastor has COVID and so she's all the ones she didn't want to do, she gets to do because he's out. But she was preaching last week on on this thou shalt not kill and and we we, as Karen and I, tend to do talk about you know what our gleanings were from our study, getting ready to preach, and one of the things that Karen pointed out is that "thou shalt not kill." That Hebrew word is not is more like our word murder. It's not so much you know killing someone or something. That shalt not kill is is that word in Hebrew that talks about doing harm with malice. Okay, so it's it's an intentional thing. Um, and that to me comes back to that relational piece. You know, I think thou shalt not kill doesn't only have to do with life, but has to do with, with other things as well. You know, how uh, not doing harm to someone in Ruining their reputation would be an example of that. You know, it's 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 it, it is that murder piece, but it's broader. So thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet, all of those things have to do with our relationships with one another. And what Paul is saying in this particular letter is that all of those things that he mentions, all of those commandments that are in those that little scripture piece we've read today, are all about love. You don't harm someone when you love them, or you try not to harm someone when you love them. I'm not saying that we don't hurt people we love, but it's not intentional. So what does it look like? To have a life shaped by love, if love is kind of the foundational fertile ground where everything grows and flourishes, and hate and oppression are those things that dehumanize people and cause harm. What does that look like? You know, love, well done, will give birth to a new world order. Imagine for yourself, you know, close your eyes for a second if you want to, imagine for yourself where the total motivation and everything that happens in this world, if that motivation were love. Imagine for a minute what that might look like. So my question for you is, how do you know you are sowing that which brings growth and for self and for others. How do you know that you're loving others? You know, it can be really easy to say love your neighbor, but we don't always know what love is, do we? We don't know what that looks like. When I arrived this morning with the mess that there was and there was a man in front of the door and I'm like how how do I, how do I treat this man with respect and love And yet still move him away from the door so that we can get in the building. And so those kinds of questions come up in our everyday life, in the everyday ministry that we do. Um, Karen, I'm going to pick on you for a moment because I really appreciate the way when you're doing the yard work around this church building and one of our houseless individuals comes and offers to help you let them that you often feed them. And um, and I've had one or two of those people come to me and said, you know, she let me do it and it looks so good. She let me help and it looks so good. I've not felt this good in a long time. Is that love? You betcha. So this whole idea of loving neighbor... Um, is pretty amazing, and it's difficult to apply. I love the way Paul goes on in this scripture and gives some some little hints of what that is. You know, the, the last um, verse of that scripture, where it says... It says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. I think it's important to note that, that this isn't only loving people that are lovable to us. That it's loving people with different backgrounds, from ours, people of different races, different social and economic standing, different opinions, different values, different religious views, different doctrine systems, you know, that that believe differently than we do. And that is hard sometimes. Would include people with different personalities, I always chuckle when I hear when I remember a person that I know who said that she and her sister had a personalities clash and um, that they were very different people and that they always uh, disagreed on everything. Yes, even those, even those whose personalities rub us wrong, different political philosophies, different lifestyles. Um, So, you know, when you begin to put that list out there, it's everybody, isn't it? Someone falls into one of those categories at all times. Um, in Romans 13.9, Paul quotes Leviticus 19.18 and says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul uses the same word again in the next verse where he says, love does no harm to neighbor. So Leviticus, the law, that neighbor word is the same word here. Um, And what it means in that Leviticus passage and what it means here, it literally means the one next to you. So who is your neighbor? The one next to you. And so I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I can't choose who's next to me. But this neighbor that Paul is talking about is that one next to you. Which brings me back kind of full circle where we started this series where Jesus is asked in the Good Samaritan story, who is my neighbor? And what is the answer? The one who shows mercy. Yeah, so that is, that is kind of that thing. So love does no harm to neighbor. Is the, doing no harm to the one next to you. So if anyone is in need, no matter how different they am from me, then God is asking me to love that person. Now, uh, kind of a disclaimer here, do it in a way that you stay safe. That really is, because if you're safe, then you can help the next person. That's always hard to remember, that we need to be able to help the next person. In order to do that, we need to be safe. So then, how should we love? How should we love? What, you know, we look at these very few verses and we wonder how should we love? Paul ties the answer to the Old Testament laws when he said, uh, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he talks about those Ten Commandments. You know, he talks about all of those things. And then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. In the writing of the Ten Commandments, you'll notice that all of them are written in the the negative, thou shalt not. And that was kind of a literary tactic at that time. Um, And Paul repeats that here. He says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor um, is kind of that negative, do no wrong. So what is the opposite of not doing wrong to a neighbor? Do you kind of have an idea of what that might be? How about if it means love does what's best for others? doing no harm we don't know what does harm really but we can figure out what is best What a difference those two things do no harm do the best the best that you can I love Maya Angelou um, who is a poet and she had there's a quote of hers that says um, do the best you can until you know better and do better so what I scene here is that we are not perfect and we don't always perfectly love our neighbors. I wish we did. I wish there was some way to do that but the thing is part of the, part of the journey that we're on is that we we do the best we can, we learn from it and then we do better. One of um, the things that impresses me a lot about a book on parenting that I read, was it talked about successful parenting being when you parent better than you were parented and your kids parent better than you. That's the same kind of thing. When we give kindness to another and another and another and another and it ripples out into the world. We may feel like we're small. We may feel like we can't make a difference, but every single person that we make a difference to today changes the world in some way. Every kindness we pour into the pool that's life ripples out to be a kindness that goes somewhere else. Every time we do no harm, we're striving to do what's best. You kind of see how that that works and how we can become this kind of center of life being uh, better and better and better. Paul starts this whole part of passage saying, um, oh nothing to anyone but love. And you know, it's so it's so interesting to me that as I look at how this passage is often treated, it's often about not having any debt. It's not about that love piece. And I think the point in this is that we're not counting what we're giving to others. We're not counting you know, we've served i don't know there used to be a, a cruise in little restaurant in, out in like four corners below Hillsborough, that had how many burgers were served um before they they closed because they're putting the clover leaf there and i and i don't think it's like that i don't think we're we're keeping track of, of we've served this many lunches over the course of this many years although that's kind of fun to look at but it's not about that it's We've served love. We've served love, and love has served others. Pretty amazing way to look at it. The debt that we owe them is simply to love. Simply to love. Now, I'll be really honest with you. Sometimes loving is messy. It is. However, every time we love, we increase the light in this world. We begin to overshadow the darkness that is very, very present in our world. Every time we show love, the light shines. Love is the debt that we can never pay into. However, we don't need to. Because my love connects with your love, which connects with your love, which connects with all the love in this room and outside of this room. All of that love connects together. We're doing our own little part in that. Imagine how bright that light is. and how that light has the power to change our world. Imagine that. Because if we can imagine that every little act that we do increases that love that is light in the world, and there's no stopping us. We can do amazing things. It's beautiful. When we remember who we are and whose we are. For we have been claimed by love. And we can be exactly who we are. And we can change our world and do absolutely amazing things. God grant us. Your light. Help us to be the light. Help us to be the love that you belong to us. Amen.